And welcome back to Arts on Fire. Again, Jason Sample in the studio with you. As promised, we have a guest joining us in the studio. We have Bob Volpe. Bob Volpe or Volpe? Volpe is the proper, although some cousins say Volpe. I get your sister in here, Karen, and she tells me Volpe. But then she says Volpe. She says whatever you feel like calling. We really me. don't know. It all depends on which grandparent or which which grandpa's brother or sister, or whoever, whatever you know. So there's, and we know that from back in Sicily, there's different dialects, and depending on what was going on at the time, they would change the end of the word. So, <laughs> regardless, we have Bob Volpe in the studio with us today on Arts on Fire, uh, talking with local musicians. Bob is a noted drummer in the area, going back to uh, probably the early 80s, the late 70s, if I'm not mistaken. Also, you do sound here around the area through yep. uh, Zach Rocker Music. Yep. You help out with Infinity Visual and Performing Arts, so uh, thank you very much for helping them out. And, of course, you kind of have uh, your, your foot in the local music scene, so to speak, in terms of still playing out and about every once in yep. a while. and deep, stuck in the mud. <laughs> with, with, with your band Sweet Ass Cream Corn. Yep. Uh, never ass- say the name sweet ass cream corn enough. Did you hit the bleep bleep button? <laughs> Back in the day, you probably had to do that, but now I just say <laughs> Yeah, it's, we used to have yeah. put two Z's on it as. Sweet ass cream corn. But, you know, now it doesn't. Well, I don't know. Things are going the other direction lately. I don't know. So I, I stay away from the media because just, it just brings you down. Uh Regardless, Bob, it's a pleasure to have you here in the studio. I wanted to bring you in because throughout this year, we've been bringing in musicians from the Jamestown community, uh, both uh, local legends, mainstays, as well as some up-and-comers, and just getting our listeners more familiarized with the local music scene, who some of the, the key players currently are, as well as those in the past, and getting their perspective on on local mm-hmm. music. So uh, we appreciate you taking time out and talking with us. And as we noted, you are still active in the music scene, both helping out with sound and performing once in a while, yep. right? Yep. We, you know, it's... It's not Los Angeles here, so there's only so many places you can play. There's so many bands. Uh, it seems like sometimes we're all we're doing is playing in deep in Pennsylvania, or as Pennsylvania, as we say. <laughs> right there's Timbuktu and Timbuktu. That's really when you go deep. How, how long have you been playing live music in front of audiences for? I mean, how well, far back do you go? Well, I I started playing drums late in '76 uh, and. When we were in high school, we were uh, our dad would come home from work and say, "Hey, we're playing this guy's barn this weekend. Oh, the Moose Club wants me to play because my dad was at that, you know, over thirty. All of his musicians were like, "Oh, we're old. We can't play anymore." So, oh, the kids are playing stuff. Okay, I'm taking the gig. So we would go play out with your dad yeah and there was no rehearsal it would just show up and do it and we realized later what he was teaching us was to drop in and uh so we would go do that and, and my sister would be dragged along here she is like seven years old singing at the moose club but it was cute and cool and she could really wail so they all loved it and so we we did that you know through high school it was a lot of gigs you know it was a lot of hey you know, here's some money to go buy the latest Rush album or the Yes album or drum heads, you know, so that's what we did. What did you call yourselves? Uh, back then, it would just we were just going under my dad, you know, Pete Volpe and his family. That's what he used to do. And and, and once, once we, you know, because the, the catalyst for us, of course, was, I think it's October 20, was it 29th, 1976, the Paul Lynn special, KISS. That next that that was the holy grail right there. From that day on, boom. Anything else before that was done and gone. 
we were finding Kiss albums and we were rocking. We built our own drum set and found guitars at a garage sale. And from then, you know, it just skyrocketed. And I was just a natural drummer. I just sat down at the kit and could play. I, you know, so it was, when I went to take lessons, it was a struggle because the teacher's like, well, he's already doing that. This is what you're doing. You're already doing that. And, you know, the little story of that was my dad was trying out a drummer and the drummer's brother, there was a big age difference between the brothers. And I went to school with the younger brother and we went over to the house and my dad and the guy worked on a bunch of songs. And then he says to my dad, Pete, you know, do your kids want to play? Oh, they don't do nothing. It's like, oh, yeah, I want to play the drums. (laughs) And that's I want to play the guitar. So I sit behind the drums and I just got, you know, familiar with it real quick. And, uh, Russ starts playing the intro to Suffragette City, and I just went along with it. And I did everything right. And it was like, you know, about halfway through the song, he stops, says, my dad, you better get him a kit. So nice. that's, that's where it snowballed from there. And then um, and you mentioned, you know, obviously hearing Kiss and seeing Kiss, that kind of made you know what route in music yep. you were going to go down. And that they are, is rock and roll, right? They are the gateway band. For, for a lot of people of that generation in their <laughs> the own, gateway right? band. And, you know, because from them, I discovered Rush, and then I discovered Yes, and um, and then we just discovered everything else. And back then, we listened to a radio station called QFM 97. I think uh, there was Irv Gofar, and, uh, and they were always playing all this stuff. I used to hear, like, oh, the new Yes album, and you hear, hear this uh, Wonder Stories played all the time. It's like, whoa. And then when 2112 came out, you know, you'd hear this, you know, whistle sound and then this stop time of drums, and that was like, whoa, what's that? So we, we delved, you know. It was just like diving in the deep end of the pool. All of a sudden, boom, here's all these bands. You know, like some people just go on one band. No, we wanted to listen to everything. So you were... Growing up and, and getting exposed to music in an era before music, television, MTV, yep. what was, besides just word of mouth or listening to the local radio station, did you go to, I hear stories of people going to record stores and looking for the coolest yeah. looking album cover That's in, what you did. in the rock bin and yep. going with that. And and you'd have friends that, because my, my brother was two years older and the kids that he went to school with uh, were more, you know, the Casadega area. And... I think those kids somehow were were getting all these Black Sabbath, UFO, and they were swapping. And, you know, my brother would come home, hey, Album gave me this UFO album, let's check it out. Or, hey, you know, like I remember 19, later in the 70s, oh, what's this, Motorhead? That's a cool-looking album cover. Oh, yeah, every album cover is cool by Motorhead, right? Oh, yeah. So I, I, remember, uh, I remember when they first came out, you know, it's it's – I mean, I knew about them before, you know, everybody else is on the bandwagon now, but I remember my brother, his first Motorhead album, he got uh, No Sleep Till Hammersmith. He was working at Zares, and they got their paycheck and went over to the record mart and boom, got it, brought it home. Finally, we had Motorhead live, you know. And same, nice. What know, about uh, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, those type of bands you ever get uh, into? Judas Priest was, you know, so that was, you know, say – Probably, I'd say around 78. Uh, somehow we discovered them through the channels of our cousin who was getting tons of records and that. So I think we were about the, not after, uh, Sin After Sin is like, I think it was the Stained Class album. So we were into Priest before they decided what they were doing, when they were still learning what their craft was. So when uh, what we refer to it as Killing Machine came out, 
because it came out, but then it had to be redone for America as <clears throat> Hellbent for Leather. All right. So we were into that, and when Unleashed in the East came out in 79, we were, you know, hook, line, and sinker into Judas Priest. I mean, uh, we were into Priest before the breakthrough of British Steel. Right, and that's the one with breaking the law. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's... And then the Iron Maiden came. A friend of ours, he was older yet, and he was uh, used to get Sounds magazine, and he would pay attention to the scene. And uh, I remember him getting the first Iron Maiden, first and second Iron Maiden albums. And so we were in Iron Maiden uh, right around the time of Killers. Got so, it. And that, that band, the new, uh, new wave of British heavy metal, just plowed in. Uh, in the field of everybody else is listening to uh, Devo and you know the Sex Pistols and that sort of the new wave music from that the new wave punk, punk just didn't stuff. affect us guys. I mean we we uh, we grew up in the seventies, so there's a lot of seventies rock, prog rock from Russian Yes and stuff like that that really delved into us. We were big Who fans. Yeah, and probably not big on the Talking Heads, or at least not enough to really um, no. play them. But I do remember seeing you live, and you did a U2 song, Bullet the Blue yes. Sky. And we, I know that came later on, I think, during the Joshua Tree in the mid-'80s. Yeah, but. we were always, you know, of every gener- genre, there's always a few bands. And I remember looking at the New Wave thing, and something about U2 struck interest in me. And I remember they opened for Talus. <laughs> and I really and I, and I remember saying to my brother, I think they're going to go beyond. I think they're just using this as a catapult. And then the other new wave band that caught my interest was The Fix. And to me, The Fix, and as they purposely say, we're a progressive rock band. We just use this as a catapult to get us going because in the late 70s, late 80s, there was that prog movement. Because uh, we were big tall fans too, but bands like UK, Eddie Jobson, there was a whole big progressive rock movement. So, you know, that really sparked my interest in that. We're talking with uh, Bob Volpe. We're talking with him about uh, the music scene in and around Chautauqua County during the, the late '70s on into the '80s. And Bob, of course, is with the band uh, Sweet Ass Cream Corn, but also Rhodium. And that's what I wanted to talk with you about. <laughs> so we're talking about all these influences you had. And what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to play a track from Rhodium, and then on the other side, let's talk a bit more about the um, the music of Rhodium and, and how you all started creating your own music rather than just doing covers. So more yep. with Bob in just a moment, right here on Arts on Fire.
Once again, that's uh, music from Rhodium, and that was a song called Am I Jesus off of this uh, compilation CD you gave me, Bob. And, and we got Bob Volpe in the studio. He is uh, the founding member of Rhodium, also with Sweet Ass Cream Corn, him and his brother Don Volpe uh, involved with that project. Who else was in Rhodium besides uh, okay. you and your brother? The, the original the original Rhodium started August, I think it was about 17th of 1983. Uh, we, had, we were into the new wave of British heavy metal. We had just went and seen Iron Maiden on the Peace of Mind tour. Uh, we were that summer trying to get something together. And uh, so it was about that time. And it started with uh, me, my brother, and a bass player that we was a friend of our sisters, Matt Wittenbrook, who uh, he later went, uh, he was actually a pastor at a church in South Dayton and, uh, and that. But was the three of us, and because at the time it's like one – when I went to do things, it was always like, can you play Run to the Hills? Can you play LaVizzle Strangiano? Can you play Tom Sawyer? Well, Matt was his trumpet player, trombone player, and he was this phenomenal bass player. He could play left-handed, right-handed, whatever. He get bored. Uh, I remember handing him the Iron Maiden. We had duped uh, Number of the Beast. We came back the next Tuesday. He had all the songs learned. Uh, when we introduced him to Motorhead and Lemmy, he was just nuts. I mean, this guy was like a sponge. And so we started Rhodium as the three of us. And then um, another guy we went to school with showed up one day at a practice, our, our old friend Dale Mahako. And Dale is this high-powered singer. He can sing like Halford, like Dickinson, 
he has this immense range and power, but he's not really, he wasn't really a musician. He didn't get the whole aspect of what we were doing, but he could do all that power. So he was like, he showed up one day, worked with us for a month or two, and then disappeared. A year later, he comes back. But we were just trying to, we were doing a whole bunch of that, that Motley Crue, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden. That's what we were playing at that point in time. So from then over the next couple of years with Matt, we were, you know, working on originals. The Backstreet goes all the way to then. And, you know, we're just trying to find gigs. But the big problem was the drinking age thing. Prior to the drinking age, everything was happening. Yeah, they changed that one. I think eighty-five or eighty-six. They yeah. they bumped it up from eighteen to twenty-one. Well, from yeah. eighteen to nineteen for a year, and then from nineteen yeah. to twenty-one, right? And my, you know, looking at the scene prior to that, we had a great scene because who goes out eighteen to twenty-one year olds? Reagan knew that, and that's where he thought he would stop rock, and and he did. I mean, it stumbled. I mean, we couldn't play in the bar. We were playing backyard parties everywhere. And um, and it just stifled the whole thing, and, it, and it's never been the same no, since we, prior. We had Warren Cisco in the studio a few uh, months back, and talking with him about the way the music scene was in Chautauqua County, the Jameson area back in the '70s, and how it really was sort of this heyday of mm-hmm. uh, music, where you can go to any given music venue on any given night, and you had options were almost unlimited. You know, you yeah, had, you had probably like. 10 to 15 different places on a weekend that you could go to within three or four miles of one another. Yeah. I mean, I used to go to the other side. We used to go to the Melody Inn. And I was just at that thing where all all of a sudden, okay, this week I can go to the bar and see Talis and I can see the bands. Oh, next week. Oh, geez, now I can't. I got to wait a year. So, uh, to mention the Melody Inn. So so you were playing with Rhodium and you guys were actually out doing gigs at the time that the Melody Inn had a, a very famous... Um, metal group show up that maybe is now the legendary metal group, yeah. <laughs> at least from the 80s moving forward. Metallica, people might know by now that Metallica played in Busti, which is just down the road from <laughs> yeah. Jamestown, of all places, back when they were, I think it was during their Kill 'em All stage when they just the had. The album released. wasn't even out yet. Okay, so this is before they, yeah, they so did Kill 'em All. We, we knew Dave of, Mustaine was still in the band, probably. I, I right think around that era. There is a chance, and I haven't been able to confirm it, nobody knows. If he was at that show or not, I know the lineup was Raven, and we knew about Raven, and we knew that Raven was bringing two up-and-coming bands. Now, it was alternating. It could have been Anthrax, or there was another band. So from reports we have of people that think they know somebody went there, because we're trying to find out, hey, out there, did anybody go? Are you still alive and kicking? (laughs) We need to know. Uh, But anyway, it was a conflict because... We were going to see Iron Maiden. The Iron Maiden date had changed. Okay. So up in Buffalo. Uh, no, Erie. Oh, we okay. Erie. Iron Maiden in Erie. This is what yeah. back in eighty one. Eighty three. Eighty three. Eighty three. This is this is the Iron Maiden show that sparked our you know like uh, you know Kiss got us going, but this is where we want to go from here, and uh, yeah. So we knew that they were playing there. We knew about Metallica. We didn't know a lot about Metallica. They were in the sounds, and they were in the little magazines that you got because that's where you got your information was the Rock Report of 97 Rock or QFM of 97, or you go to the record store and there was newsletters and stuff that they would put out, or the sounds and circus in these magazines. That's where you found out about your band stuff. Yeah, it would take you a month to the next issue where now you just, you know, boom, 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 on your computer, you find out everything. 
So but, you, yeah, you missed the Metallica show for yeah. Iron Maiden, though. Yeah, I mean that's yep. a tough choice, and obviously you know who Iron, you know what you're getting with Iron Maiden back in yeah. 1983, and that some was some band uh, passing through calling themselves Metallica. Yeah, you don't really know. Yeah, so it, you know, it's interesting that they played, and I'm sure uh, the reports that I heard there was like maybe 10 people there, which is typical. <laughs> uh, I mean, our Iron Maiden show had Fastway. I don't know if you remember them. No, and Coney Hatch from Canada. And that was one awesome show, the World Peace Tour on that. But, yeah, Metallica played right here in our backyard. And I've looked recently on the Metallica site, and the date's different. It's like there's a confusion in the date. The further away it goes, right. the more us old people have Alzheimer's and go, what day was that? <laughs> talking but, with Bob Volpe's from uh, Sweet Ass Cream Corn also. Talk, so you're talking about Rhodium here. You gave me a cassette tape that you all put out. When, when was Here in the Backstreets released? This is familiar. I've never heard Rhodium 91, before. 91. But the the theme of this sounds familiar, the album title at least, Here in the Backstreets, because they, that's they also... mysteriously appeared on another album by a band later on. The Cream oh. Corn Conspiracy, right? <laughs> on that album. When you're the author, you can do whatever you want. Right. <laughs> So, so this is an album that you all put out in the uh, the early '90s, right? Yeah, back when cassette was king, and when we recorded it, it was experimental time because the DAT machines came out. So, you like, know what hey, DAT stands for? Digital audio tape. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so they you would have this machine, and the thing about it was no generation loss. So you could put it in there. Okay, you play, you know, you do the backing tracks, and boom, then you put another machine. And you sing along to it, and you just keep doing it till you get it right. So we kind of just did experiment, and this we went, you know, with it. You know, back then it sounded great. Uh, today I listen to it and go, oh, well. <laughs> but it used to get uh, airplay. Backstreets was played on the air. Uh, Rocket 101, the early Rocket 101. I sent it everywhere, and it used to get airplay. What about uh, Rock 103 here in the Jamestown Warren area? They ever played for you? The that was. I think they came out. Were they then? Back in uh, 94, 93, I think they uh, were doing rock, classic so rock. So this was before them. Okay. Well, then we won't that's hold a, that against them. That's how old them. we are. <laughs> we won't hold it against them. So you, you did out uh, this road. Why, why did, when did Rodeo Ma leave? When did it split up? Uh, theoretically, that was 99. But about the scene here all of a sudden picked up about, about 88, 89. Thank you to Guns N' Roses and Poison. You can knock all the hair bands all you want. But without those hair bands, they packed the, the bars. The stuff wouldn't have came back. Yeah. And you got to thank those two bands for bringing back the acoustics. They had what, Brandy Lies, Black Widow. I mean, they're still doing it, but I think that's one of the bands yeah. I remember from back in my high school days that you'd see advertised so, in the Nightline magazine. Yeah, so we had a, a, you know, what we would call a nice honeymoon period between like 88, 89, and 94. And about 94, all of a sudden everything changed. And at that point, so then the. Rhodium kind of, okay, this guy left and that guy left and Frank the singer went south and that. But me and my brother kept going. We were like a three-piece, and that's where uh, the Sounds from the Underground CD come in. We were just doing some experiments with a four-track, getting all these ideas down. And we kept uh, looking for bass players through the 90s. You know, it was either no bass player or you got a bass player. There wasn't any place to play. I mean, we were still active, doing what everything we could you know it was a constant you know we were working on it 24 7 uh, but then then around 99 our current bass player said hey i want to play bass so we worked with him for six months and in 2000 said okay we want to call it rhodium or what and 
our lighting guy at the time, Brian Griffin, who passed away uh, in 2000, came up with the idea. You gotta call it sweet ass cream corn. So just just for his sake, we did that, and I thought, oh, well, let's try it, and it, it kind of worked. Um, sweet as cream corn, and I—that's I, a funny story. Your sister told me about that. I'll get to that in a moment. So you started that in about the late nine, probably two thousand or so. Yeah, ninety-nine, two thousand. So we we just say two thousand for. We're gonna play a track right now from uh, Sweet Ass Cream Corn. This is Backstreets, the uh, Sweet Ass Cream Corn version of yes. Backstreets. Since I haven't had a chance to dub this cassette tape yet of the original from Rhodium, and then we'll have more with Bob Volpe in a moment right here on Arts on Fire. <laughs> Feel his heartbeat trembling from the heat. Young boy walking all through the city streets. His spirit it wanders, as his mind it wanders. As he looks around at the world that surrounds him, here in the back streets is where the children play.
Once again, that was Sweet As Cream Corn with uh, Bob Volpe, of course, on drums, Don on guitar. Yes. And Bogey. Bogey Griffin on bass. Bogey Griffin on bass uh, here on Arts on Fire. We got Bob in the studio with us. So, uh, Bob, I was, I was saying the, the Sweet As Cream Corn uh, story that your sister, Karen, told is that she spends a lot of time out in California now. She's a California girl, lives out there, but she comes into town once in a while. She yeah. said that she was actually fortunate enough to be on some kind of a, a show or uh, program that Donnie Osmond was hosting, of all things. And she was talking oh, with Donnie, that. and she says, I have... <laughs> My, I come from a family of musicians, and Donnie was really curious because he comes from a family of musical people, and he wanted to hear more And what, what does your musician's fan call themselves. And she goes, well, it's sweet-ass cream corn. And I guess you, know, you would have knocked Donnie over with a feather because he wasn't quite expecting <laughs> anything like that to come over. But uh, he had to check with the church officials. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anytime you can make uh, Donnie Osmond blush, I guess, is a good thing. So that, that was a fun story I heard. Yeah, so... Did you have a hard time getting uh, that past the censors? We don't really care. I mean, Sweet Ass Cream Court isn't exactly the worst thing you could say on the radio. It wasn't really that bad. There was a few times where I, I, I made politically correct posters and stuff. I always had alternates. So there was a few times, but it wasn't as bad as like when we get to the gig and with the band Rhodium and the sign said Rodeo, you know. <laughs> So we we would see on the signs cream horn, and and it was it was purposely we were purposely setting these people up right. to fail. You know, just it was our entertainment and seeing how you know backwards our area is. <laughs> how far did they get in education? Let's see. <laughs> yeah, so it it uh, there was a few times where people were scared of it, but most of the people embraced it because they thought it was so crazy and different, and that's what. That's what Gene Simmons says. You know, Gene Simmons told me, you got to stick out. You got to do something that's going to cause trouble. Well, he's, you certainly did that. Not too much trouble, though. It is. A, I've seen you guys play uh, numerous times. Not much lately, though. I mean, you say you still play out and about, but more times than not, it's uh, down in uh, it the just, Pennsylvania area. Yeah, it just, the scene, it peaks and valleys and peaks and valleys. And I've seen this since we started in the 80s. Uh, you know, starting with the, the drinking age, it valleyed out. Then it peaked up. And then it valleyed out in the 90s, and it peaked up in the 2000s. And then it, it's kind of been up and down with the economy for the last several years. Venues. I mean, it's hard to find yeah. a good venue in the Jamestown area. I'm not saying that the venues that do provide music are great. Thank you very much to all of them. Yeah. Uh, but it's hard to find uh, venues that consistently, and, and plenty of them. So you have a small number of venues that can do music. You have bands mm-hmm. that want to play there, and oftentimes uh, There's they, they get into the thousand habit of, bands yeah. for three places. And then... You know, so it seems like whenever it went down, for some reason, we're always being hired in Pennsylvania. Right. And we kind of separated the situation. We uh, we brought Adam McKillop was in the band for a while, so we were a four-piece. And basically, he was like an intern, and we were getting him ready to do a solo career, which we we launched him on a solo career. Yeah, we know. had Adam in the studio earlier this year, too. Yeah. He's him and, and Steve then, Johnson uh, stopped by. We worked him for a while. Then his buddy Dave wanted to can I just come and jam with you guys? It's like, okay, because we're experimenting and stuff. And then uh, I was running sound for this other one of the clients, and their singer calls me up. Okay, i got to cancel dates. Do you guys looking for a singer? Well, let me check with the guys. Okay, come on over. Next thing you know, we got six guys. So we're like, okay, let's just come up with a crazy name. Just, you know, because we've always thought of this, and some people have done it in the past. Okay, Sweet Ass Cream Corner's original band. We need a different name to play covers. So, because some people get confused, because we've been accused of 
playing too many originals, not playing enough originals, playing too many covers. So the catch twenty two, nobody's ever happy. Right. So we we did the ridiculous six because there were six of us. But then Adam started getting a whole bunch of stuff, so he kind of we let him go do his stuff, and then uh, Dave, we just kind of uh, we decided at one point, well, let's go back to a four piece because we want to be a little more high energy rock, and at and then uh, Zachary, you know, who's Zach Rocker himself, you remember a little dude? Oh yeah, I remember him. Um, he had played with us at the. At the beach gigs and stuff. Yeah, we did a beach gig back in 2006. Yeah. And then Zach got sucked into the vacuum of what kids get sucked into. And he had a terrible time for several years. And he wound his way back out of it. He's working, got a good job working with his dad down at Dawson. And he's back to playing guitar. So we're like, okay, you're in the band. Nice. And he has some great original ideas. So we're So basically right now, Ridiculous Six is Sweet Ass Cream Corn in disguise, uh, basically. And that's that's theoretically so we go out and play covers. Anything we do original will most likely come out as a Sweet Ass Cream Corn. You album. don't play a lot in the Jamestown area, but from my understanding, you do have a gig coming up at the Chattacoin Club, and that's going to be what, in, uh, uh, we in got, September, November, October? We got a Chattacoin will be in November. We got some dates in Pennsylvania in October. I, Down to one? No, they're actually for well. South. Actually, yeah, uh, we do have one coming in Warren. The rest of it's deep down in Pennsylvania. You know, two-hour drive going down Route 62 in that Ford van, and it's like, oh my, down geez. in Forest County area, <laughs> not, not that, quite that far, not that far, <laughs> not that uh, way direction. It, anyway. It's funny too. Is I've been running sound lately for a lot of bands down there. You no know, kidding. And Jamestown, I I don't know what it is. You know. There's only a few places here. It seems like it's the same bands every weekend. I know sometimes they'll. F- I've seen this in the past where they'll be like, "Well, that band does good all the time, so let's just keep playing them every week until people get tired of them." Yeah, it kind of <laughs> happens that way every once in a while. Where so, you got to be you careful know, how frequently you book a band. And I mean, we yeah, we'd like to play more in Jamestown, but it just not. It's just not there. It's not we're not being asked or offered or anything. So we're keep getting calls from Pennsylvania. So we go where they call us to come and play. Well, if anybody out there listening that uh, books bands in the Jamestown area, feel free to uh, get, uh, get Bob and the gang in the stu- or on the stage, and I'll stop on by and check it out. If <laughs> no one else will, Bob. That's for sure. We do appreciate you taking time on talk with us. I mean, I really don't have uh, anything else to ask you. We're running short on time here. As you noted, you will be playing in November. We'll be letting people know on the Rock yeah. and Roll Rundown when you do play. We'll be under Sweet Ass Cream Corner. It'll we'll be, be Ridiculous, Ridiculous Six. Six. Ridiculous, Ridiculous Six. Six. All right. So and, the, uh, and just as a so, side note, update on Karen. She's been singing weekly at the Whiskey. Whiskey a go-go? Yep, for the Ultimate Jam Night. And as you know, when you perform at the Whiskey, you've made it. That's no, no matter what. And she has been uh, working with Chuck Wright. Quiet Riot fame, oh, the actual right. guy who played uh, on Mental Health, and uh, the new singer for the, the Suite. It's called the Suite because there's actually two versions of the Suite. There's a Europe version and a California version because the two last guys and they don't like to travel. So uh, this uh, they call him Polly Z because the last name is so long you can't. But his brother David was the bass player for TSO. It passed away. He was out with Adrenaline Mob and they. Had a flat tire, trying to change it, and some truck took mm. them out. But she's been doing that at the whiskey weekly, and they they love her. It's like all of a sudden, 
She's doing all kinds of stuff out there. She's been I hooked her up with Pat Hackett from the Allegheny River Monsters, and they've been doing a duo thing. And it's it's finally after all these years, she's really starting to do that. She's trying to come back for the comedy fest, but there's some hiccup in whoever's in charge of all that keeps ignoring her. And Steve Martin told her, "Be persistent." <laughs> well, you know, there's a lot more opportunities out there than just the uh, comedy festival we would love to have yeah. her back here and do a show and maybe Jeez. there's a way you don't need to do it through the comedy festival to come back she was <laughs> yep. playing every once in a while once she makes uh time to visit family here in the area yep. i know that she'll do uh, some gigs with with you and your brother don around uh although what was it the witch kitch yeah, we, we, no, we, now we it's a, now they'll be playing at the Dollar General, yeah, right? Yes, that's the Dollar General now. Yeah. You'll be at the we, parking lot of the Dollar General <laughs> next time you all come in. Yeah. Oh, I tell you, it's just a shame to see a lot of these establishments go away, that's for sure. Oh, it, it, virtually every place we played in the 80s, is, uh, most everything's gone. You know, Aardvarks. Fell down, burned down. You know, I don't know if it was because of us that it burned down or fell down. <laughs> Well, there's still a few venues, so we'll we'll talk with Opie down at the Frog, and if nothing else, see if we can't get you down there. Um, Don, thank you very much for coming to talk with us. Bob, Don's the uh, the brother. I've only He's done the that twice one. now. He's the Don. The Don. Yeah, you're the Bob. Yeah, <laughs> a kinder, gentler Volpe. Bob Volpe, your heart's on fire. Bob, thanks for talking with us. We do appreciate it. Have a good weekend, and we'll uh, we'll be playing some of your music here in the coming weeks, right here on uh, WRFA. Thanks a lot. Yep. Thank you.